0: The scripture reading for today is from Colossians 2, 1 through 10. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. For those in Laos and for all who have not seen me in person, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will be deceived, or no one can deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are, And the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive, though, through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, Based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by Him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Maria. Thank you for reading that. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Yes, yes. Um, so, this morning we are going to begin a new series for the new year. You see it on the cover there of the bulletin, if you have that. It's called Embodied. We're going to take six weeks to look at what the Bible teaches about our bodies. Now, why are we doing this? Well, let me put it like this. Did anyone here forget to bring their bodies with them this morning? <laughs> no, not, not a very funny joke, but the point is our bodies are a part of everything we are, everything we do. Everywhere we go, we, we go and do in our bodies. Yet, our bodies are often in the background when we think about our spiritual lives, when we think about our faith. We think about our souls, we think about our spirits, we think about our hearts, which is good. But what about our bodies? How do our bodies fit in? Is the physical and material and bodily, is it secondary to the soul? To the immaterial, is it somehow lesser? We don't often put our bodies into the forefront when it comes to our spiritual lives. But when we look at the Bible, the Bible does. And I want to share a passage where we see this very clearly from Romans chapter 12. Let's put that there on the slide. This is one of the more important transition verses in all of the Bible, in the book of Romans, we have 11 chapters of the apostle Paul explaining the gospel, he's explaining the Christian faith, he's laying down the theology, he's saying this is what God has done, and then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he's saying, and now this is the response, this is where it meets us, this is what we are to do with all this, this is how it impacts us, and this is what he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present... Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So, here, in a very important place in Scripture, it tells us what are we supposed to do in response to the mercy and the love and the grace that God has given to us in Jesus Christ? What does God want? It says he wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our bodies offered to him as holy and as pleasing to him. This is what is holy to God and pleasing to God. I'm, just, I'm driving this home because I'm wondering as we begin this series, is that how you think about your body? Is this what you would have said that this is what God wants? This is where it hits home. This is the response God is looking for the presentation of my body to him. That's worship. There's another reason why I felt this series wasn't necessary to do at some point. Although we may sometimes put our bodies in the background when it comes to our spiritual lives and our faith, maybe sometimes think about it as second class or not even think about it at all, our body is very much in the foreground in our current cultural moment in the last few decades, or maybe even stretching back, beyond that, we have seen massive changes and shifts and controversies and disagreements and just new developments when it comes to our bodies. Here are some examples. Sexuality, what is it for? Who is it for? Gender, is it binary, fluid, or fixed? Are the genders at war or is peace and partnership and mutual flourishing possible? Technology, we are capable of living more disembodied than anyone ever dreamed of, having an existence that is all digital, so to speak. We work from home on screens. We do school from screens. the lives of the youngest among us, the unborn, and the oldest among us. What is the value and worth of their bodies? Race. We're dealing with the legacy of a history where people were put on a scale of worth because of having a different body. And that's it. And church. There are all kinds of articles on this, but attendance and commitment to a church as an embodied community is at an all-time low, just in the United States at least. is being a consistent part of an embodied community, is showing up, really important and necessary. I just brought up a lot, we're going to touch on these things throughout this series. This is how the body is in the forefront of our everyday life in our cultural moments here's what we'll be covering over the next six weeks. And although we'll hit all those topics, I can't promise I will cover everything in those. But what I hope to do is set up a framework and engage in key passages of scripture that will help us gain necessary wisdom on all of these things. Today, we're gonna talk about our embodied God. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about what it means to be an embodied person, But it means that the church is embodied, embodied church, embodied worship, embodied formation, and embodied mission. So this morning I'd like to lay a foundation for the whole series, the whole topic, by looking at the the passage that we just read together from Colossians chapter 2. And how it teaches something utterly unique to Christianity. There's nothing else that is like it or even comes close to it when it comes to the body. What I'd like to do here, and this is the image I'd like to give you as an outline for the the sermon. Um, It's like a square. I'd like to give you four sides of a square or a box. A lot of these questions, all these things that I brought up, whether they're controversial or difficulties we have with our bodies, this is the theological framework. This is the theological box, so to speak, that we engage with, think about, and live out our faith when it comes to these questions. And what I'd like to do is focus specifically on verse 9. If you have the passage, I encourage you to keep it out or turn there to the book of Colossians in your Bibles. We're going to be spending most of our time on verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Or put another way, Jesus, according to Christianity, is God embodied all the way, fully. Fully God, the entire fullness of deity, the entire fullness of God's nature. Fully God, dwells bodily in Christ, fully human. He has a fully human soul and a fully human body. This teaching Is the starting point for understanding our bodies, living in them, offering them to God for service and his purposes. So first we need to understand what does it mean that Jesus is God embodied. Verse two says this is the mystery. It's hard to grasp. I can't say that I can explain it fully or understand it completely, but in verse two, it says, Paul is saying, in Christ, this is the mystery. All the riches of understanding of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. The wisdom and knowledge we need to understand all these issues related to our body are found in Christ. So let's, let's build this, this square, so to speak. First point, first side. This text is telling us, God fully values our bodies." This is the first implication of the great mystery of God embodying. God fully values our bodies. We can't move that t- past this point too quickly. We need to spend time thinking about what this means. As C.S. Lewis says in one of the reflection quotes in the front of the bulletin, it, "It's only the Bible of all the world's religions and philosophies and belief systems, and all the worldviews that gives us a basis for believing in the value and the worth of our bodies. He says in mere Christianity, Christianity is almost the only one, I think he's talking about biblical religion, the Bible, thoroughly approves of the body which believes matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body. That some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. At the time that this letter was written, the letter of Colossians, most philosophies, most belief systems did not value the body or at least did not have a reasonable or coherent reason to value the body. In most philosophies and narratives of the time in the Greco Roman world, the body, our physical existence, was the problem. It was the source of our lower instincts, our base desires. The mind or the spirit, that was the seat of virtue and goodness. And although this isn't exactly what Paul's responding to here, this perspective eventually came together in a philosophy, you may have heard of this term, called Gnosticism, which taught that there is a good God who created the mind and the spirit and the spiritual realm, and then there was actually this bad God called the Demiurge, who created the physical world and bodies. And this good God is at war with this bad God, so that the triumph of good will be the triumph of the physical over the immaterial, the triumph of the mind over the body. So that, that was then, that was the world they were living in, those folks who originally heard this teaching from the Apostle Paul. But what about now? So we think about the world's belief systems, most Eastern philosophies, I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here, define salvation or enlightenment as a kind of escape from the body. The body is limited and weak. It's like a prison for the soul, our pure souls. This physical reality, as we know, is so full of suffering. Our bodies are so full of brokenness that we need to escape out and achieve enlightenment and salvation out of our bodies. That's, in broad strokes, the Eastern perspective. Pure secular materialism, right? Just that this world is all there is. Say, our bodies have... No more value and worth than we could pick anything, just any other physical object than like a peanut butter jelly sandwich or an ant on the ground. It's all equal. It's all just material molecules and elements. The only value and worth that these things have is based on what we choose to give it. This passage says something here that would have been unheard of at the time, and I think is hard to believe in our time and even lost on many of us who are Christians. It says the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. My friends, this is the basis for the worth and the value of our bodies, of everybody. And so I'd like to just press in for a moment here as we think about this. I know I brought up a lot of questions and controversial things, but this is really the starting point. Paul's talking about here, what's your philosophy? See how he says, I'm giving you wisdom. I'm giving you teaching here. I'm giving you a basis for the value of the human body. What's your philosophy? What's your argument? And if I could press in on on all of you here, whether you're Christians, non-Christians, young people here, Every single thinking person, especially in our day and age, needs to have an answer for the value of the human body. What is is its worth? Where does the value of the body come from? In order to thoughtfully and intelligently engage on any of these issues or come up with a response or a conviction or to live it out, what's the philosophy you have? What's the argument you have? What basis do you have for it? Otherwise, if we don't have a clear sense of the basis for our beliefs about the human body, then we're either just following the current cultural trends or we're just reacting to the current cultural trends. What we have here is unique to the Christian faith. We are told God values our bodies fully. How can you tell when someone fully values something that it is worth a lot to them? Say it's a TV show that's playing, right? There's a TV show that's playing, but you're busy doing all kinds of other things. You're kind of watching it in and out and just looking at it when you have attention. It doesn't have your full attention. Or maybe you're uh, in a conversation with a person. You're sitting down with them over a meal, But you're looking at your phone and you're doing something else. You're like, this person does not value this conversation we're having. You're just looking at them, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, on your phone. This is not valued. It's not important to you. Or if you're in a job and you're only giving a part of your effort to it and it's not worth it to you. How do you know when something is valuable and worthwhile to someone? If you're absorbed in the movie and the TV show, like there's nothing else around you and that's all that you can pay attention to. If you're attentive in a conversation, so focused in on it, or if you're in a task or in a job and you can't even remember what day it is or what time it is because you're all in on that task or job, that's when you know somebody values something when it's worth it to them. And this illustration that I'm kind of building here only captures a little bit of what's being said here. It's not just God's full attention. It's not just God's full focus or His awareness. This is saying the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily. All of God. The word "dwells here is really important. Dwells" means it to take up permanent residence, not a, not a temporary stay or a visit means permanent residence. To dwell means I'm not going anywhere. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten of the Father, before before all worlds were made, as the creed says. Very God of very God. Fully and completely God in every way has taken up permanent residence in a human body. This is present tense. Not took up, he currently resides permanently in a human body. It's not dwelt. He dwells now, today. He is a human body. Still the God-man, risen and glorified, yes, but fully embodied like us. Why? I'd like to point you to one of the other reflection quotes. It says it so well. The early church father, Athanasius, said, Why? Why would God give his entire being to be united to our entire being, including our bodies? We were the purpose of his embodiment and for our salvation. He so loved human beings as to come to be and appear in a human body. We were the purpose. He so loved us. He so valued us, all of us, not just human souls, not just human spirits, but human beings, all of us soul and body. Do you believe this? That God so values our bodies that he decided to dwell in one forever. God, creator, almighty, Lord of all. Do you value your body as God does? Something we'll be thinking about over the next few weeks. Do you value the bodies of others as God does? You see their worth and their beauty in value, every type and every kind, not as objects to judge or compare yourself with or to use or to ignore, but as loved, valued, and delighted in by God. God fully values our bodies. Not only this, second point or second side of the square here that we're building, second point, the language of this passage tells us more. Not only that God fully values our bodies, but he fully understands our bodies. The good, the joys, the bad, the brokenness of our bodies, all of it. Yes, Jesus now dwells bodily in the heavenly realms, glorified and risen in his glorified body. But how did he get there? We just celebrated this in the Christmas season. Jesus entered into all of our human bodily experience from the very beginning to the very end in a sinful, broken, and difficult world where it's hard to have a body for a lot of reasons. Jesus experienced it from womb to tomb in a world of sickness and suffering in a body with all of its limits and weaknesses and temptations. He was just in one place at one time, Jesus. He didn't float all around. He walked places. He was limited like we are. He got tired. He got so tired, he fell asleep in a boat, in a storm. He was very tired. He got hungry. He wept real tears of grief. He felt all the emotions that we do coursing through our bodies in all the different ways. He used the bathroom. All these things Jesus did. Just like us. Hebrews, I'd like to put this slide up as well puts it like this, God understands our bodily existence in every way. He had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. He is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way. As we are in every way. Do you believe this? That God understands you bodily in every way. In his full divine nature. We say, okay, God, God is the son of, Jesus is the son of God. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He has all the wisdom and the understanding and knowledge. Yes, that is true. But we are taught here something more than that, that Jesus' understanding of our bodies goes to an even deeper, more personal level. He understands us not as a transcendent God only from the outside. That's important and That's true but he understands us as a human being from the inside. There's something about bodily presence, being in the presence of another person. We can't replace it, right? We can't replace it with Zoom. We can't replace it with a phone call or FaceTime. Those things are awesome and important and letters and the way that we communicate outside of the body is good and does a lot. But even Paul here, as he's writing to the Colossians, says, I don't know you, and I haven't been with you in person. I'm just writing this letter to you. I'm struggling with you from afar, hoping you will get this. But man, I wish I could communicate this to you in person, Paul is saying to them. And what he's saying is that God has done that. He understands us from the inside. Kelly Kapich in his great book, Embodied Hope, can put this slide up as well, says... Jesus points us forward to new hope, new life. God achieves the new in us, not by obliterating the old, but by entering our situation, taking it for his own and then transforming it, sent in both the Father's love and in the life-giving power of the Spirit. The Son's incarnation His taking on true and full human nature. Here's the part that I really want to emphasize, means that our Savior understands us in the most intimate and reassuring ways. Friends, God could have said to us, he's God, you understand me, I am God, I am your maker, I am your creator, I am Lord, the one who made you, whatever sin or struggle or pain or question you have, you just obey me in it. Understand my holiness, understand my righteousness, understand my laws and do it. God had all the right to do that. He is God Almighty. That is his right, but he didn't do that. Instead, he said, I'm going to understand you from the inside. He understands. There is a lot of struggle and complexity when it comes to our bodies. As the Apostle Paul said, In his frustration in Romans chapter 7, who will rescue me from this body of death? We may not like our body. We may live with pain in the body and breakdown in the body. We may want a different body. We may have so much drivenness to shape our body, to make it the body we want. What we're taught here is that God fully understands all of this from the inside physical pain, bodily suffering. He understands. He suffered deeply, maybe incomparably, in his suffering on the cross. He understands bodily trauma as he was beaten and abused and crucified, the trauma we store inside of our bodies. He understands what it means to be overlooked just because of the way he looks. Isaiah 53, 2 says, The servant who is Jesus, he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was not a good-looking guy, is what we're told. He understands being overlooked because of that. He understands the trauma of living as a refuge, of being beaten and abused, and the shame of being exposed as he hung naked on the cross. All this Jesus experienced to the very darkness of death itself. Friends, God understands in every way like us. This is an important foundation as we consider our struggles. What God says and what his word says to us is not coming to us from some distant reality and from distant deity out there, but from a God who fully understands from the inside. Application. If Jesus, Lord and God, has gone this far to fully understand and sympathize and suffer with us from the inside, inside of our bodily struggles and pains and temptations and brokenness, then we, my Christian friends, as those who follow him, must also commit to understand and sympathize and suffer with and have compassion toward others in their bodily struggles and brokenness and temptation and pain, whatever it might be. Those are two sides of the square, a third side. God fully values our bodies. He fully understands our bodies. And thirdly, God is the full authority on our bodies. Jesus, the God-man, embodied God. If we could put it that way, he fully values, he understands our bodies, and that's reassuring and that's comforting truth. Verse 10 adds something to this that is just as important and should also be reassuring to us but can be very difficult and challenging for us to accept. And that is this, God is the full authority on our bodies, which means God has the full authority over our bodies. Verse 10, Jesus, God incarnate, embodied God. We are told he is the head over every rule and authority. What does this mean? It means as Lord, as God, and as our bodily risen Lord and King, as a human king and lord. He is the ruler over every ruler. He is the authority over every authority. That's what this is saying. As one of us embodied, he understands us, he knows us, he sympathizes with us, but as lord over us, he rules over us. He is the authority over us and everything. And this means there is nobody and nothing else who fully knows what our bodies are for, how they are to be used and healed and made whole besides him. As embodied God, Jesus is the expert, the authority on the human body, on mine, on yours, on life in the body. He is Lord over the body as the one who lived a perfect, holy, and obedient bodily life. He knows what the body is for from the inside, and he speaks out of this. He speaks his authority over us out of this. All this is of utmost importance as a foundation for understanding the Bible's specific teachings about life in the body, which we'll talk about in the rest of this series. When we come to practical issues concerning the sexuality of our bodies, the gender of our bodies, technology in our bodies, our health, our appearance, all the things that we'll get to, we need to have this part very clear. That our authority, our source of wisdom on what is true, good, right, and beautiful about our bodies is not primarily a book, is not primarily a set of rules, or a human tradition. What we are told is that it is Jesus, the person of Jesus. He is the authority, the one who values and understands From the inside, he is a complete authority on and over our bodies. If we look at the context here, we'll see how what Paul is saying fits into this larger passage in the flow of the text. Look back at verse 1 with me. Paul says he's telling us why he wrote this letter. He says, I'm struggling for you. You see that? I want your hearts to be encouraged, joined together in love. I want you to have the full assurance and complete understanding and knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. And my struggle, Paul is saying, is that there are going to be all kinds of threats to this. In verse 4, there are going to be arguments that sound very reasonable, but he's saying they're not true. In verse 8, he's saying there's philosophy based on human tradition, elements of the world, i.e. the basic frameworks we use to understand the world. And he's saying... We're going to have many experiences in the body, many struggles in the body, many questions about our bodies. There's going to be good, bad, hard, joyful, unbearable, confusing, all of it. It's all the experience we have, but it needs to be interpreted. We need to know what to do with it. We need to understand it. What is this and what does it mean? And what do I do with it? Christianity doesn't tell us to repress or hide our experiences and desires and fear and shame and pain. We honestly name these things, but Jesus also says, you aren't able to interpret them. Only I can do that for you. What is this? What is this that I'm experiencing? What does it mean? How do I interpret it? And what do I do with it? Life in the body in a broken and sinful world will come with challenges temptations and difficulty and we will all need to look to something to interpret all of this to make sense of it to guide us will it be our inner feelings will it be a current cultural consensus that is always changing will it be a reaction to the cultural consensus here we are given something far better in verse 3 Paul says in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found if Jesus is God embodied, then he is our interpretive grid for our bodily experiences, desires, and struggles. There's one more piece to this square, the fourth piece. As I was praying through this and working on this sermon last night and this point specifically, my back just started killing me. i was sitting down and I was like, "Ah, oh, I can't think. I can't focus. I wish I had a different back. I wish I had better hamstrings and the whole thing. And that, that is a relatively minor nuisance. We all have those. But We all have even more significant struggles and questions when it comes to our bodies. We say, man, I wish. Man, I wish I had a body without this disease and condition and tendency. Man, I wish I had a body without this trauma I wish I had a body without this physical feature and without one. I wish I had a body without this struggle. All of us will one day say, I wish I had a body that doesn't break down like this. Until any beauty and strength and bodily pleasure we had or didn't have, it's all gone forever as life in the body comes to an end in this world for all of us. The Bible says sin has broken and bruised Our bodies. And the reason we feel all these things, sometimes alienated from our bodies, sometimes like we're we're hostile to our bodies or they're hostile towards us, is because we're alienated and hostile to God, as Colossians says, as Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1. God fully values, He fully understands, He's the full authority over our bodies. As we try to trust God with all these questions, whether there are questions or questions we have for other people, or whether they are the, the man, I wish things going on within us. Man, I wish this wasn't happening in my body. Man, I wish this was happening in my body. The key question here, as we think about all these things, is can we trust if Jesus is the authority, can we trust his authority is good and loving? Paul is saying here, yes. All of God is invested in all of us, and that includes our bodies. How can we trust his authority is loving and good? All of God is invested in all of us. Let me share an illustration. We were watching recently, don't judge, um, the movie Gladiator as a family, it's an old one, but it's kind of a classic, at least I think it is. But there's a scene from the movie Gladiator where there's a fight at the beginning, you know, a big battle and it, it goes back and forth between two people. One is the, the Roman emperor right, I think it's Aurelius, right, he's on the hill in the background sitting on the horse and he's guarded by all these guards are all around him and he's up there commanding, right, he's the authority saying you fight this battle, we're going to attack here, and we're going to do this, but he's far up on the hill and safe, right, nothing's going to get to him and then it cuts to like the gladiator, right, the general, Maximus, And Maximus is on the front lines. He's commanding, he's the authority, but he's the one that's charging into the battle first. He's vulnerable to the pain that everybody else is vulnerable to. He can die like any of them can die. He gives orders as one in the battle and fighting for the people who are fighting with him. Friends, when it comes to the authority of Jesus over these struggles, over these temptations that we have in the body, sometimes it can feel like God is giving us these commands and exercising his authority from far away up on a hill. But Christianity says that is not the God of the Bible. He is an embodied God. Just like us, in every way, he became vulnerable. He became killable. He went into the battle to fight and win victory in the body for us. He is not a God from afar. He is our embodied God. Let me close. If you could just turn to Colossians chapter 1 and we have it here. Just want to close with a meditation on the theology that forms the, the basis for that little verse that we've been meditating on this morning, Colossians We are told that Jesus, if you can read that, it's a little bit small. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the image of God. He shows us what is truly and fully human. For everything was created by Jesus, our bodies. He's the maker and the designer. He knows what they're for. He's the expert in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, including our bodies, have been created through him and for him. He is the authority. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Our health, our bodies, our life holds together. Our existence, the joys, the goods, they are held together by Jesus. He is also the head of the body the church. He gives us a physical breathing community to be a part of. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead in his risen body. So that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. His fullness. He is fully invested. And through him, what did God do in this fullness? To reconcile everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. We might say the physical and the spiritual. By making peace. By bringing wholeness through his blood. He's all in. He's fully invested shed on the cross once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions but now he has reconciled you how by his physical body through his death why to present us wholly faultless and blameless to make us whole soul and body That this is true, Jesus is 100% invested in all of us, in you, in all of you, in our bodies, in your body. Jesus has one. It's his permanent residence. If Jesus resides permanently in a human body, he's not going to leave it in disrepair. He's not going to leave it as a (laughs) fixer-upper. He's going to finish the job. Let's pray. We thank you, God. even though it's mysterious, even though we have a hard time even wrapping our minds around it that you are a God who is an embodied God. And as this morning, we think of difficult questions with regard to the bodies you have given to us and our experiences in our bodies and the questions we have about our bodies. And your call for us to present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice and holy, I pray that you would help it sink deep, deep down into our hearts, that you are not a God far, far away, on a hill somewhere, commanding us, but you are a God who is with us all the way, all in, fully invested in us, heart, soul, and body. May we be encouraged by that. May we be given fresh hope in whatever struggle, experience we are carrying around in our bodies right now. Knowing, Jesus, you've gone before us, you've started, and you will finish the job. We thank you and we pray all this in your powerful name. Amen.